0: This is our last Sunday in the book of Romans. We're going to be concluding this study. And I wanted to ask you this question. Why did you come to church? Why? why, And maybe this is your first time here. Why did you come here today? Or maybe you're a regular church attender. What keeps you coming back to church? Initially, somebody might come through the doors uh, because they've heard of the, the good worship music like we've had this morning. This is a, an all-star team up here today. Uh, we might be might because you've heard of the fabulous preaching. But that studies show that's not what keeps you coming back to church. Because here's, here's the reality. No matter how great the band is, and no matter how great your, your preacher may be, and you got a good one. <laughs> you guys are so lucky. But here's the deal. Here, here's, lightning uh here's the deal you go on youtube and you're gonna find a better worship band out there you might even find a better preacher if you look hard enough, right? There's always going to be somebody out there that you can tap into and just stay at home and listen to them. That's eventually whatever worship band or whatever preacher, they're going to, you're going to become used to them. And that's not what sustains somebody. And studies show that what keeps somebody coming back, 90% of new attenders at a church will come back if, one of the three, if these three things are happening. Number one, they're able to articulate their faith. In other words, what they believe and why. Why? That's the foundation. Otherwise, what are we doing? Why are we gathering here? But then these other two, it's interesting to note, they belong to a subgroup. What we mean by that is like a a home group or a Bible study or the worship team or a service team, a smaller group of people where you can actually do community together. Then the third thing is that they have four or eight close friendships in that body, people that they would say are friends, deeper than just someone I I know their name and, and, and shake their hand on a Sunday morning. So you see, these are the things, what we're seeing here is what keeps people coming back is the community that they develop, the friendships that they maintain. Being a member of the church body, it's, it's not primarily about a bunch of programs or church attendance on Sunday morning. It's about knowing your faith, about knowing the God of that faith, the author of that faith, and then knowing that in a community of real life friendships. That's what we're called to. And in the book of Romans, we've been looking at, uh, we've called this message, the the series, that the power of the gospel. We believe that's the heart of what Paul is trying to convey to the Roman church that he's writing to. And we see this kind of summed up here. This is our last week, and we're gonna look at the last chapter in chapter 16, and look at how he sums up this idea of the power of the gospel. Verse 25, now to him, to my God, who is able to strengthen you, there's the power, according to my gospel, that word means good news, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, says my God will give you the strength you need for everything you need through Jesus and the good news of who he is and what he's done for you. And what we're going to see this morning is there are three things that the power of the gospel plugs us into or connects us to, right, using some electrical um, metaphors. So the three things. So First one is the the power of the gospel connects us to people. Connects us to people. In this final chapter, we're going to see, and this was very common at the time of Paul's writing, but he is going to, um, he wants to greet or send greetings from individuals um, along the way. And so he he says, uh, he greets 27 different individuals by name, And then he sends greetings from eight individuals, which some quick math tells me that's 35 people mentioned by name. And that's not including the house churches he's referencing, the families that he's talking about. He, He wants to talk about these people by name. These are people that he knows. Now remember, Paul's never been to Rome. But there are many people that he did know that eventually migrated to Rome. There was also that, that, we talked about Emperor Claudius kicking out the Jewish people from Rome. And so a lot of them were scattered to regions that Paul has been to. And in this way, all roads quite literally lead to Rome. Because Rome was the one that built all the roads. And so it's very common for people, even though he's never been to Rome, that a lot of people he would know would be in Rome at this time. And so he wants to address them personally. He wants to show us that people matter. Real individuals matter. And so we don't have the time to read through this entire text, but I've highlighted all the names as we kind of zoom through this. And I want you to note, feel the love in this passage. There's warmth, there's familiarity, there's camaraderie going on here. And the other cool thing that comes out of this is if any of you guys are looking for baby names, some really good ones in this passage. This is amazing. So he talks about Phoebe. Phoebe is the one that probably brought the letter to the church at Rome. Prisca, or maybe you better know her as Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, they talk about that, that couple in, in the book of Acts. And then we've got Epinitus. Uh, if you have that, go check it out to your local doctor uh, immediately, I would recommend. Uh, we've got some other names that I definitely am not even going to try to pronounce. Uh, verse nine, Urbanus which I think would be a great inner city outreach name if you're looking for something like that. Uh, verse 11, the family of Narcissus probably a lot of egos in that home. I don't know what's, what's going on there. And then my favorite, verse 12, Trifana and Trifosa, which I think is that commercial about the medicine with the two old people holding hands in separate tubs. I don't know what's going on in that family, but they need Jesus, right? Okay. So um, there are other names, again, that he just, he's mentioning that he knows by name. Those are the people he's greeting there. And then down in verse 21 through 23, he says, here's some people who wanted to say hello. We know the name Timothy. Tertius, verse 22, is the one who actually dictated this letter. Paul, and it was common at this time uh, with the writing ways that they did back then, that he would just say it and then someone else would write it. I've been trying to get my secretaries to do this in the office and they refuse to dictate my sermons for me, so I'm going to fire them next week. Um, But I'm just kidding, uh, probably. Um, So the heart of what Paul's trying to get at here, he's trying to get at the fact that the ministry is about people. Church is about people. Our life, it's about relationship, right? And, And two of the things that we said here have to do with people. People are going to stay a part of a community of faith if they belong to a subgroup, a smaller group, where there's real community going on, and they have real friendships, four to eight friendships, in that community. That's what we're looking for, and that's why our vision for our church, that we believe God, the heart of what God wants us to be, is a gospel-centered community. That community word is so central to what we're doing, and I love it. I've used this quote several times, but Andy Stanley said it this way, you can't one another in rows. But as we're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, we can't love one another. We can't serve one another. We can't forgive one another. We're just sitting there listening to the preacher. And half of you guys look like this guy, right? You're just sitting in in your chair listening, right? It's passive. We're not doing life together. Not not in this context right here. So there's something deeper that God's calling us into than the Sunday morning. And I was thinking about my own life. Growing up in this church, I was in the, the nursery here. And, and the last 30 years of my life, 35 almost years of my life, spent a majority of that growing up in this church. And I just saw, grabbed some pictures from my, uh, my computer of all the individuals that God has brought me into in my life. Specific people that I can name, that I've done life with, that I've gone on conference trips with, that I've, that I've done all sorts of life and ministry, tears and, and, and laughter I think about families who have been in this church for a long time, like the Stroms, the Thorntons. We've got a Thornton family reunion down here in front and I didn't even know I wasn't invited to the reunion. I don't know what's up with that. But, but this, these families that I've known, friends in my life like Ian McEwen and Jacob Peterson that I've walked down some hard roads with, friends who have been there with me for me through thick and thin. Think about the current home group I'm in, the names of individuals like the, like the Webs and the Lorings and the Taves and Ryan and, and the birds and the Gillises and Ryan and Josiah getting married in June. Um, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, the Welcome Home Group, we've, we've added some new families this, this past uh, couple months. Man, what a blast get to know the Turners and the Bices and the Chias and Linda and the Jacksons and the Manharts and Jackie. What an encouragement they've all been to me to get to know them, to hear their heart and what God's doing and become friends with them. And then I'm blessed to have a lot of my own family here at the church, that that they're fellow believers, that we get to see each other on a weekly basis, and that's a blessing most of the time. Love you guys. The power of the gospel connects us to people. So I ask you, are you in relationship with people that you can name, that you're doing life with? That's what the gospel invites us into. And the second thing, and it goes along with the first, the power of the gospel connects us to truth. The power of the gospel connects us to truth. One of the cool things about the book of Romans is that it teaches us that there's actually more than one way to be saved. Thank you. I'm glad my Aunt Debbie's here. Did that strike any of you as funny other than Debbie? It should because it's heresy right? That's not true. And you have, the, you have the answer sheet in front of you. Romans says there is one way to be saved, amen? It's through the person of Jesus, grace through faith in Christ. There's one way to be saved. Now, that's an obvious lie, at least to one of us in this room. Um, but, but look, look here's, here's the reality. Paul says there are going to be liars who are going to infiltrate into your community, and they're gonna to try to knock you off course. Let's listen to the words here. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. People are gonna lie. He says, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive, apparently everybody in here but one, I'm just kidding, Uh, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan, the father of those lies, under your feet, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the author of truth, may he be with you. So this is a little bit different. If if you see some of the same words, back in chapter 14, remember what Paul had to say about the non-essentials Alcohol or, you know, what kind of a school you send your kids to. He said, there's a lot of things that are an issue of conviction and conscience. And we're not all going to line up in the same place. And that's okay. But here, when he talks about divisions and he talks about obstacles, look at what he says, that are contrary to the doctrine. That's the set of teaching and belief that's contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. You've been taught the truth. Here he's talking about essentials. And he says if someone's going to tell a lie that, that is not true, that does not line up with the gospel that you know, the gospel that God brought to you, he says avoid those kind of people. Get those people out of your midst that are causing division and obstacles they are ensnaring your people. And they can be deceiving. He says that smooth talk and it's flattery. It's deception. And we know in our own life experience that the best lies, the best lies are the ones that are the closest to the truth. And that sound good on paper. might sound good initially. This is why it's so important for us to know what we believe, you guys. If you're going to stick with a community, that's the foundation, right? That's the bedrock. And, and for us to be able to determine between lies and truth, remember we said one of the things that keeps someone there is that they're able to articulate their faith. They're able to talk about what they believe and why and point to where that comes from in the Word of God. And this is why we say that we're a gospel-centered community. We're not just a group of people getting together. We're a group of people getting together centered, aimed around the good news of the truth of Jesus. And we need to know our faith or listen, we will be wrecked. That's another benefit of the community that we're living in. It helps us guard against the lies and the division that's been so easily creep in. And don't we so constantly need to be reminded of what's true? I need to be reminded of what's true every single day. When you go on YouTube right now, there are a lot of terrible, heretical, and yet popular teachers and preachers. In our own country right now, there are places where stadiums are being packed out every Sunday, but the gospel's not being preached there, even though they pretend like it is. And so for me, man, what, what's so centering? Every week it's coming back, every day getting back into this community where I'm, I'm coming back to home group, coming back to hear the word or to proclaim, sing those words of truth to help calibrate my heart, to go back to celebrate recovery and, and hear, and listen, not and hear the truth from other people, hear their doubts and their faith, to hear their struggles and their victory. But I need to be reminded of what's true and what's not true because my heart is prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We gotta get outside of our own heads. We're like a a pack of caribou. And when one of us gets off by ourselves, we're easier to get picked off by the wolves, right? We gotta stay together. This is the gift that God's given us. And in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the way that we are to equip one another, that the leadership in the church is really to equip the saints to do the work. And that as we are building one another up, moving toward this unity and faith in Jesus, he says, here's one of the things that comes out, verse 14. Then we will no longer, if this is happening, we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every new wind of teaching every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Again, it's deceptive. Verse 15, Instead we'll speak the truth in love. This is our job, do one another. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. We've got to speak the truth in love to one another. Now sometimes we don't want to be in relationship, right? All the introverts, raise your hands. See, the introverts never raise their hands. <laughs> we, And and now here's the deal. You, You walk into community, here's what I can guarantee you. It will be messy and muddy and ugly at times because you're walking in with a group of sinners who are still in the process of becoming like Jesus. But man, our minds so easily get out of whack, we fall into the pit of lonely discouragement if we try to do this thing by ourselves. That's not what he made us for. He created us for community. We need one another. And listen, not just because it gives us warm fuzzies because a lot of times it won't. It's because we're in a battle. We're in a a real life war. And one of the weapons that God has given us in the trenches is each other. Last week Paul said in in Romans 15, he goes, pray for me. Strive with me. Agonize with me. We said that word means because I'm doing battle and I need you. And as we go out there and we are engaged in this warfare, we got to put ourselves in the kind of relationship with people who will faithfully pray for us. People who will courageously speak truth to us when we get off track. We're believing the lies of the evil one. We need each other. And what the gospel does is it connects us to each other and back to the truth of that good news. The third thing, the third thing the power of the gospel connects us to is God. I love the way the last verse of the entire book says this. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. What a great note to end a book on. Our hope, our power does not primarily lie in other people, and it does not even primarily rely on facts or truth. It's God himself, the creator of those people, the author of that truth. He's what the book of Romans is about. He's what it's all about. Celebrate Recovery, one of the things, we always start um, every meeting off as, as we introduce ourselves, we say our name. And then we, we, talk, we, we talk about who we are in Christ, and then we state our problem. So I would say, my name is Justin. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus who struggles with S-Y, X, Y, and Z. And everybody says, hi, Justin. Listen, if you're here today, and you can't admit or identify your problem, you know, eh, life's pretty good. I'm better than all my neighbors. We're kind of floating through this, this cloud. This gospel's not going to mean much to you. If, if our problem isn't real, then what's our Savior for? What is he saving us? What is he helping us or if we don't see the problem we won't see the need for the remedy And as we look back we do a little brief run through back to the book of Romans remember where Paul took us the, the, the baseline here that we gotta start with we got a problem and what that problem is because we all got problems in our lives but a lot of them are first world problems right like this little poor cat got the little disc thing on his head um, or maybe have you ever had this where you're hungry but you just brush your teeth that's so frustrating And consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? Or what about this, when your cookie's too big for the cup? Are you kidding me? And I don't want to break that cookie in half. You know it changes the flavor. I don't know how, but it does, right? So, So we got these problems, but you won't believe it. These aren't our worst problems we got deeper problems than that. And we make light of it, but man, even some of our felt needs, some of the loneliness and the hurting and the sickness, and man, some of us have been doing battle for years in those things, and we're not minimizing those problems, but that's not the deep root problem that Romans wants to get us to. And until we get to the root of our problem, we're not going to see the need for the root of our solution. And what Romans 1 says, the problem is, our main problem is with God. And that God created us to worship him, to worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the creator and lover of our souls. But what Romans 1 says we did, we didn't worship him. But Romans 1, says, although we knew God, we knew that there was a God, but we did not honor him as God and we did not give him thanks. That we did, not, we did not worship and love and obey God as we were created to. And so verse 18 tells us this is what happens. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness in his holiness He says, if you don't bear my image, if you don't look like me and trust me and worship me and love me, then you're getting my wrath. And sin, it separated us from that God. And and so, and God gave us. He says, you want this? You want this path? You can have it. And in verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He says, you want to be your own God? You can go that way. But it's a, a way that ends in destruction. And this is the depressing opening scene of Romans 1 through 3. And he he ends with each one of us standing before God guilty. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. It showed that those who were trying to keep this standard in their own works, it would fail. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable before God. We stand before this God with no defense. We have nothing that we can bring to him to show that he ought to accept us, that he ought to have relationship with us, that we should not be, be lost without him forever. So we recognize in Romans 1 through 3 that our main problem is being disconnected from a relationship with this God. And if that's true, and and you remember this outline as we've been walking through, if our main problem is is with God, being disconnected from God, then of course what's what's our main need? Is to be reunited, to be reconnected with this God. And that's what the rest of the book is all about. Our main need is to be reconnected with him. And how do we do that? We cannot do it on our own. The beginning of that new section in chapter 3 says, but now, but now the righteousness of God, the way to be made right with him, it's been manifested means it's been shown to us apart from the law. You're not earning your way back to him. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the Old Testament was all pointing toward Jesus coming. It says this is the way. This, you want to be made right with God? Here it is. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there's no distinction. It's a level playing field. We're all sinners. We're all disconnected. And the only way back is through Jesus this man comes, the only one who's ever been good, dies in our place, absorbs our wrath, and offers us his right standing with God. That's a good deal. And it's just simply believing and accepting that good news that makes us right in God's sight. This is incredible. And the rest of the book just unpacks this. Romans 4 reminds us of Abraham, the father of our faith. It says, man, Abraham was made right with God not by works, It was before he was circumcised, before the law was even around, that God declared him right in his sight. How did he do that? By simply believing the unconditional promises. God said, I'm gonna bless your socks off. And and Abraham said, Okay, that was it. And he says, It's the same thing for us. The way that we're made a part of this family of faith acceptable before God is not our works. It's not by refraining yourself from cussing when someone cuts you off on K Beach Road or how many times you attend church throughout the week. He so says, that's not gonna save you. The problem's deeper than that. The only way to be made right is by trusting that someone else was good for us. We could never be good enough. And then Romans 5 talks about this new family. He says, You were in that old Adam, and all he gave you was sin and death. Quite the, the DNA that he passed down. It says you've been removed from that old Adam and put in the new Adam if you've placed your faith in Christ. And this new Adam, in the second Adam, in Jesus, you've been given life and peace and a right standing with God. That's a much better Adam. And then in Romans six he goes, but wait, there's more there's more not only have you been freed from the penalty of sin and made right in God's sight through a new relationship with him but Jesus also saves us from the power of sin that he says we have been made one with Jesus that we died with him that we were buried with him and now we've been raised to a new life with him and here's what happens he says your new life you're free from the power of sin You are now able to please God and do what he says, that he's your new master now. No longer is sin your master, where all you could do is sin in the past. You got a new master, and that's Jesus. This is a new life where we're free, free from the bondage of sin. But he says this new life, as we look to, okay, what does it mean to grow as a believer? Romans 7 he goes, I'll tell you how it's not done. It's not through going back and trying to keep that law. Not because there's anything wrong with the law, the law is perfect. The problem is you, it's it's a me thing says your flesh can't keep the law. So it's got to be something else outside of it. It's not just external obedience that we'll always fall short on. It says there's got to be something internal. And Romans 8 says that's exactly what I've given you. He says what I've given you is this new spirit in you. We called it portable Jesus. He put the spirit of Jesus inside of us. And now no longer by keeping the law, but by trusting this new nature, this new heart, this new will that we've been given freely through Christ. It allows us to bear fruit for God in the way that we were originally intended to. And this spirit, man, he, te- he reminds us of truth. He's the spirit of truth, Jesus says. And in this chapter, Romans 8, maybe the most beautiful chapter in all of the Bible, he reminds us that there's no condemnation now that you're in Christ, now that you have this new spirit. He, he reminds you, but man, there's nothing that can separate you from this love. He reminds you that one day you're getting a new body and you'll be free from suffering, from sin and from death. And he says, hold on and hope. And when you can't, and you don't even know what to pray, the spirit's gonna pray for you. And he, inside out, will make you more and more like Jesus in a way that glorifies our Father. And then Romans 9 through 11, remember, we zoomed back out and we looked at the big picture. And we saw God's sovereign plan before any of us were created and how he was going to save the whole world. And remember, we saw that Jesus was going to come through this one nation, the people of Israel, and that through that nation, he would save all the nations. But then we saw it was actually this nation's very disobedience, their very killing of him, that, that allowed mercy to be shown to all the nations. It was through their killing of Jesus and his shed blood that allowed the Gentiles, the other nations, to be invited into this new thing that he was doing in Christ. And then he says, as the people of Israel see the Gentiles brought in, they're gonna get super jealous and they're gonna come to Jesus too so that in the end, all peoples, through the mercy of God, not their own merit, will stand before him. And that's why he ends in this doxology where he just explodes. He says, all things are from God and through God and back to God. To him be the glory, all the credit, all the honor, all the thanks. And then he ends this section by talking about this practical, okay, what does this life look like now? He says, man, in light of the mercy that he's shown to every single person, every single nation, what do we do? We give our lives to him and bought by the blood of Jesus. We belong to him now. And so we give ourselves to him in this act of worship for him to change us, for him to transform us from the inside out. And we said this new life is a life that's marked by love. It's going to be a love for one another in the body, the people that we can name and do community with. There's going to be a love toward our neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, telling him about Jesus. It's going to be a love toward our enemy, he even says. I can only be done in Christ. No one's loving their enemy on their own. It's a love toward our government and nobody's obeying the government on their own, Right? But he says, if you obey, if you, if you trust me, you'll trust the government. You'll obey the government because it's, it's an extension of, of obeying and, and trusting me. And then he said in chapter 15, there's going to be people who have different consciences and convictions than you, but you're called to love them, not to just prove that you're right. He wraps it all up here saying, what am, what am I doing here? I'm creating a new humanity through the only person that's ever been good, Jesus. And through him and him alone, will you glorify me like I had originally created you to do? Our main problem was with God. Our main solution to be reunited with that God comes through the person of Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. And this last verse summarizes it so perfectly. He says, To the only wise God. This came from him. This is his plan. This is his doing. This is his power. Could never have come from another human. Therefore, to the only wise God be the glory. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory forevermore. How? Through Jesus. Jesus is the channel. Jesus is the means and the end. Amen. Amen. So we summarize this thing. The power of the gospel connects us to three things we see in this chapter. want to land the plane by applying this to our lives. So the gospel connects us to people. I want to ask you this simple question. Are are you in community? You find yourself in gospel-centered community. Now, for some of us, making friends is hard. And let's be honest, some of us have been very burned by church before. We've been done wrong, deeply. And it can be a scary step of faith. But if this is God's heart for you, and he'll provide, right? And sometimes that means taking that step, initiating a conversation with somebody. And for those introverts, God be with you. But maybe, maybe you're the kind of person who's like, the reason I moved up to Alaska is because I hate people. <laughs> and I want my elbow room, I want to look out my window, and I don't want to see anything but trees and maybe the occasional moose. Or maybe you're just super busy, and you're like, you should see my schedule. I don't got time for people. Are you kidding me? Well, Hebrews 10 says, I don't care. <laughs> it says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. There are some people who neglect this. This is why he's calling us into this. But encourage one another. What does that imply? we got to encourage each other. We, we need courage, because it's a scary world out there. He says, you don't do it alone. Now that the day of his returning is drawing near so what's going to keep you coming back long-term is not preaching, it's not worship music, it's, it's finding this community. The call is to make disciples, to be disciples and to make disciples, and you can't do that on an island by yourself. Now, for some of us, and I, I never want to boil this down to church programs, but there are avenues that we have to get involved, and it's going to be different for everybody. There's not one way to do community with other believers, Maybe you love, you like, man, I want to rock out with that worship team. There's a whole group, a community right here that you could jump into. Or maybe you're a real man like me and like working with your hands, you know, just like tough and tumble. Why are you laughing? Um, we got a facilities team here. You could join the facilities crew. Maybe your heart's for the lost and, and you want to evangelize, you want to reach out, you love cross-cultural ministry. we got a missions team that's meet, mission, I said from last week, mission and action team to join in with we have home groups, we have men's and women's Bible studies, we have, we have, uh, we have, we have uh, youth ministries and children's ministries. Now listen, uh, what I'm talking about there is not the programs themselves, it's the community that you're invited into there. Because here's the point, in a program, out of a program, we need each other. We need, we need to do life with, and I'm talking about real, outside of these walls. We need to be raising each other's babies together. We need to be laughing and crying. There's got to be someone in your life. when, When you're at the end of your rope, who are you picking up? Who are you dialing? Who's on your emergency contact list? Those are the kind of friendships that we need that God's created us for. Are you in community? Secondly, the gospel connects us to truth. Connects us to truth. Are you able to articulate your faith? Are you able to articulate your faith? If someone came up to you today and says, man, why do you believe what you believe? You say you've got hope tomorrow, what's the basis of that hope? Some of you would wet yourselves. <laughs> some of you would swallow your tongues. Peter says, "Be ready. that's going to happen. He says in 1 Peter 3:15, "In your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always, always. the Greek there means always, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it, and for some of us, this is the key. Do it with gentleness and respect. T- speak the truth in love. There must be both present. So we got to take responsibility to know our faith. This is this, I mean, Salvation's on the line here. We're not playing around. And so for some of us, man, we're like, I don't fully understand this. Some of us, we go, I have no idea how I would tell someone else about this faith. That's why we need each other. That's why the caribou need to stick together and remind each other of the truth, equip each other to do this work of discipleship, and to be willing to speak the truth to lo- in love to one another. We've got to tell each other the truth. When, when a brother or sister is sliding off track, we've got to be there. We've got to be there to speak the truth, even when it's hard. And the last one, the gospel connects us with God. And this is the, probably the most important question I could ask you, and it's simple, um, but it rocks us to our core. Are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? Are you connected to your God? Now, I know this is a weird thing, right? This is different than a flesh and blood relationship where you can see them and touch them right now. So I understand for some of us that's kind of, kind of even a, an abstract concept. How do, we, how do we have a relationship with the Spirit being God? What does that look like? In Revelation, when, when Jesus, he had, he had seven different churches he wanted to address in, in the letter. And he talks to Ephesus. And, and at the beginning, it looks really good. Like it looks like this is the kind of church, like if you're going to a new community, then plug into that church. Look at verse three uh, excuse me, verse 2 of chapter 2 in Revelation. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, That you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance. And you've endured for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. That sounds like a pretty good church. They know the truth. They're kicking out the heretics. They're in it for the long haul. They're enduring. They're persevering. Right? Like, that sounds like the kind of church you'd want to join up with. But then he says, this is what I got to say against you. And in a lot of ways, this is all that matters. Is that I have this against you you left your first love. He goes, yeah, you know the facts. You know the truth. Yeah, you do a lot of good work, but you've abandoned me. You don't love me. And this is what he, this is, these are hard words, man. He goes, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you Repent. Listen, we can be in community. You could come to church every Sunday. Man, you could go to like eight different churches and just hit them all. Like Bertrich's got a Saturday night, Bible Chapel's got a Sunday morning. Like I'm, I'm in like eight different home groups. I'm in every service team. I can play every, you know, uh, instrument in the band. Like I can do all those things. And you could know the truth. You could dominate at the sword drills. You got sparky jewels from head to foot. You you got the old school Bibles. I guess they still make them with the paper. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. And you, you underline and you write notes in the margin. You got like eight different colors of highlighters. You got it all figured out because you took that precepts class. You know the truth, and you and you're in community. <laughs> but this man, it says if you don't love me, if you're love, if you don't know your God, that means nothing. If you're a gong and a symbol. Corinthians thirteen would say. We can know a lot about our God. And we can do a lot of things for our God. But the question is, do we know our God? See, I'm stepping into this new world called marriage soon, and and from what I hear, you could I mean you could know a lot about your spouse. You could do a lot of things for your spouse. You could hold worship services for your spouse, sing songs about your spouse, deliver beautiful sermons about your spouse, write books. But if you're not spending time with that person, that's not a relationship. That's like a weird cult. <laughs> God says, What I've created you for is not just to know things about me, and it's not even just to do a bunch of things for me. I created you to know me, to love me, to have a relationship with me. This is the most beautiful gift we could have ever been given. Do you know your God? Are you in love with Jesus? Our main problem. This God who created us for this relationship, we said, talk to the hand. We went and did our own thing, our own way. And so the good news, the truth, is that Jesus has reunited us through his good work, through who he was for us, has reunited us back into this relationship with our Father. To love him and to know him and obey him. This is not ultimately about knowing all the truth and the facts. This is not ultimately just being in a community with other people. This is about knowing God. Do you know him? Do you love him? Father, thank you so much for this beautiful gift that you preserved this letter from Paul to this church in Rome. And throughout the ages and centuries, you've used this letter to encourage the church, to remind us of the truth, and to point us back to this relationship with God as you originally intended for us. Father, we so easily fall off the mark. There there might be someone in here today that doesn't know the truth at all, that has never entered into this right relationship with God through Jesus, may they make that step today, place their faith in the person of Jesus, quit relying on their own works, and fully surrender to him. Maybe there's someone in here that has been disobeying the call into community, trying to do this Lone Ranger Christian thing, and it's just not working. Or maybe there's a fear of what it will look like to step into community. Lord, you've called us to this. You will provide the means. Maybe there's someone in here that's just gotten completely off track of the truth, And they're listening, that the lies in their head are much louder than the truth of your word. May you use us as fellow brothers and sisters to come alongside each other and to point us back to that truth. This is not a game, this is life and death. And then for those of us, and I know my heart's been here so many times, even this past week, where I know a lot about you, and I've been doing a lot of things for you. But I haven't been walking with you. I have not been enjoying, delighting in a relationship of, of knowing you as my God, as my Savior. So God, through the power of the gospel, through Jesus, not our own attempts to claw back in towards you, earn our way back into a, in your lap where you go, I gotta take you back. It's only through the blood of Jesus. That's our only defense, our only righteousness. We re-enter to your throne room and we know that you accept us as your children. You made all of creation to praise you to sing your name, to to, to show your majesty and your glory. That's exactly what you created us for. So I pray that in Jesus, we might be a group of people that declare your praises like you created us for, that sing of your worth and your majesty and rest in in your son Jesus who made that possible. May we fall in love with you, relationship with you as you called us to. If the stars will praise you, so will I. It's in your name that we pray. It's in your name that we praise you. Amen.